I'm Dawn Ennis. I'm Carly Chardonnay Webb. And you're in the Transporter Room, the Christmas week edition. And we're taking a little trip to a place called Merry Old England. Once again, our coordinates are set for the UK. Coming up, Verity Smith, trans athlete, trans advocate, and all around great guy. Carly, you had some breaking news this week regarding USA powerlifting. Yes, USA powerlifting is finally embracing inclusion, sort of, we think, we hope, with the introduction of what they call the MX division. Now, according to their press release, the MX division will be a division for all athletes of of all gender identities. This is very interesting. It's very wide open. It'll be interesting to see how this shakes out. But Don, I'm Don, I'm still speechless. And even after even after doing some work and some reporting, still, I mean, still digging for more of the things that come out to light. This is a very interesting thing to say the least. The backstory is that in 2019, USA Powerlifting banned trans athletes specifically J.C. Cooper, from participating like any other female athlete. So there's been a whole long rigmarole of attempts to try to get them to practice equality. Now, at least they're doing something. It's not full equality, let's be clear. But it's something. And as we know, every little step is a step towards the future. Yes, but it'll be interesting to see how this I'm interested in seeing how it evolves. Because I mean, right now, what I'm what I'm reading in many ways and what we've seen so far is at least a template. But you know and I know the devil's in the details. That's so right. I'm You're interested in seeing how the practice, details right? work out. Exactly. Let's, yeah, let's see him put it in the practice. The other big story, of course, this week is that we have our hero, Laisha Clarendon standing up for a trans boy. This boy's mother wanted nothing more than for the family to wish her son a happy birthday. And they stood him up and they ignored him and they treated him like he didn't exist anymore. And Laisha saw this mom's plea on Twitter and she stood up and she tweeted a warm, wonderful birthday wish. The kind of thing that just gives you hope because we're all in this together, you know? We've had two celebrities recently come out. We have Elliot Page, who is this week thanking all supporters for accepting them as a trans man. And Eddie Izzard is now using she, her pronouns. A big week for trans people. I'll tell you, I'm I'm blown. First, I'm first, Alicia Clarendon, I mean, you want to talk about somebody who's like, who's really speaking out and standing out, they're doing it. And just another reason why I just love the WNBA. I mean, when it, when it comes to stepping out and speaking out and getting and getting in the issue, no sporting organization in the world, I think has outdone the WNBA. I'm, I'm just going to put that out there right now. Oh, what, what she did for that kid, that kid's never going to forget. That is a huge thing. Also, what we're seeing from the Elliot Pages and from and from Eddie Izzard. I mean, I'm a fan of Eddie's comedy to begin with, but she really put a target on her back. 
at a time when at a at a time and especially in a place where that target is a big target. I mean, and you shared you, with me an article about how the British tabloids especially just seem to be so bitter about trans people. They're always attacked. Oh, yes. Oh, I mean, well, see, that's the biggest issue that why Eddie Izzard is important is because it seems so much of the British press has gone so far into the camp of people like Women's Place and Fair Play, and, and Fair Play UK and the Glinners of the world, the Pierce Morgans of the world. I mean, the, the, uh, I mean, the side, the pro-inclusion side, unfortunately, is very much outgunned. And for Eddie Izzard to, to not only step out, and Eddie's always stepped out, but for her to speak out and step out in this fashion really flips the field. And, and that was a major topic on Sunday's broadcast of the Owen Jones podcast. Owen Jones, noted columnist for The Guardian in the UK, started a podcast a couple months ago, and and he had on a couple of trans activists, including Sean, Sean Fay, Freddie McConnell. They were talking about trans issues, and it was Trans 101, but it was beyond Trans 101. They really got into the Eddie issue. They really got into the issues of how the media is distorting the, distorting the topic. And I just want to give a shout out to Owen for really getting into the guts and really giving people an education in many ways. But yeah, for Eddie to do that, that that's huge. That is, I mean, that's a big deal. And let's give a shut up fool's award in honor of Monica Roberts to the BBC for honoring J.K. Rowling for her outspoken stance against transgender people. Will you shut up? <laughs> to, to, quote, to quote Chris Mosier when I, when I talked to him a few months ago on J.K. Rowling, who? <laughs> well, here's a British name everyone should know. He's a trans athlete. He's a rugby player who's played in both female rugby and wheelchair rugby leagues. and. He stood up to world rugby and continues to stand up against their ban on trans women athletes. Let's set coordinates for England. Carly, beam up Verity Smith. Energizing. Welcome to the trans corner room, Verity Smith. Hi there, how are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you doing on jolly old England? <laughs> I'm good, minus the weather at the moment. Um, <laughs> thank you for having me today. Well, we're always glad to have you. Uh, this is the first time in the transporter room, but not our first Zoom. You know, when we spoke last, you told me that you were on a quest to get a new wheelchair. Would you tell us a little bit about how that turned out? I um, Unfortunately, I didn't get to make it into the men's team. I broke my back in my last female game. So um, I've slowly moved over into wheelchair rugby. Um, and, and because of that, I've been needing to get a new chair as well due to some disability issues and things. So I've just managed to get my hands on a new RGK uh, wheelchair, which is um, fully foldable and gets me to go out and about and off road. Um, so it's been absolutely amazing from my bosses at Mermaids to be able to do that for me. Um, access to work as well within the UK for disabilities. And again, thank you to everybody that um, donated as well um, to the GoFundMe page to enable me to get out and about and carry on the work that I'm doing as well at the moment. Oh, you're welcome. And uh, you had a little mishap just the other day, did you not? Yeah, um, I took my Labrador and my Labradoodle out for a walk um, and decided to get stuck in the mud um, up the incline in, in some woods and had to be rescued by one of my friends. So that, that was always interesting. Um, it's never a dull moment in my world. 
That like wheelchair rugby is rough. That's, <laughs> that's some rug. That's some rugged play there. What about what about wheelchair rugby excites you? But also in a sense, does any of it terrify you? Because I've I've seen some wheelchair rugby. That's some hardcore game. That's hardcore game right there. I don't think it terrifies me. I think I terrify it sometimes. Um, when I first started playing, one of the um, top coaches in the UK, um, rugby union, actually messaged me and asked me what um, idiot had, had allowed me to start playing rugby with a piece of metal now. So that was quite good. Um, I enjoy it. It, it. I didn't want to do it at first. Um, it took me six months to send an email. And the first email I did send said, am I allowed to play because I'm trans? Because um, I was so scared of moving away from what I knew. Um and then when I got there, they brought the wheelchairs into the room and I, I burst into tears and tried to leave the hall. And my, my best friend's wife grabbed me and dragged me back into the room and said, go get in the chair now sort of thing. Um, and from then, I've just carried on participating. It's brilliant. And it's a it's a way to still keep my hands on the ball. It's just different. It's the same game, but just different. So, um, yeah, it keeps me going. And I'm looking forward to that starting again in the new year, hopefully when uh, COVID decides to disappear a little bit more. Well, I can tell you, as someone who played rugby in university, um, I wouldn't touch that wheelchair rugby. I'll, I'll let y'all have that because that's rough. But I want to get to the brass tacks to start with. You are on, in the World Rugby Working Group. Yeah. What, in your mind, how difficult a process, process was that? Even how difficult was it to be a trans voice in that working group? I think the first thing was hard because I was the only person, um, there was only trans people, two trans people in the room anyway, um, myself and um, one of the researchers, Joanna Harper. Um, and again, I'm not a trans woman and the voices of trans women were not heard or spoken to or listened to as part of that meeting. Um, we thought that we were going to go talk around how we were going to make it more inclusive, how they were going to work on the current policy that they'd released in 2019. And from the minute we got in that room, we realised that, that that wasn't going to be the case and it was going to be a, a battle from the start. Um, the amount of people that were allowed to speak, um, but the people whose voices needed to be heard were not allowed. So Sport England didn't get a speaking place and the International Gay Rugby um, Organisation, they didn't get a speaking place. So we were only allowed there as observers, but then they allowed people like Fair Play for Women to have a speaking pitch when they've got no background in rugby whatsoever. And there was nothing actually given back from the trans community or fed into that at all. So it was very, very hard. And again, there was a lot of presumptions made within that room as well as soon as we turned up. Um, I just don't think they were expecting some of the people to actually discuss what they were dis discussing as well. And again, it's got to be with us, not without us, if they're wanting to make decisions. Um, and a whole part of the community, trans women, have been banned. And again, the next generation, um, the young players of the future, they've had their international pathways removed from them as well. So there's nothing for them to aspire to once they get to a certain level. It's just cut off. So something needs to be done about it and something needs to be looked at in, into how this went about and how these decisions were actually made. Who's that South African podcaster guy who's constantly on Twitter about world rugby? What's his name, Carly? Ross Tucker. Ross yes. Tucker. Ross Tucker. Ross Tucker says that the reason that trans women players were not heard from is because the other side, which why is he even taking a side? I don't know. Didn't put one forth, didn't nominate one. That The people who were supporting trans inclusion didn't choose someone to speak for them. What do you say to that uh, allegation? 
Well, what actually happened was um, they got voted in through the IGR, so the trans players themselves actually voted who they wanted as a spokesperson. But again, they were only going to send one person, and we had to fight to get a position for myself to go as well when I got actually asked to go. And my colleague, Megan, she went as well, and she came over from the States. Um, and again, we went. We, there were enough spaces given. There was no information leading up to that. There was nothing given to feed into. Um, so, in regards to the IGR, again, the IGR is a male orientated um, within the UK um, international inclusion uh, league. So it's mainly men that have been played. There is a women's aspect to that, which is mainly American um, over in the in the states. So for us, it was about finding out who they wanted to go. Um, I got asked if I wanted to go, so I, we checked to make sure that was okay with everybody else. Um, and we went um, to see what was being said. And again, because I've been playing for 26 years, the thought that the experience in regards to playing and transition, even though it is different, again, being a trans man, my journey is going to be very different to trans women as well. And again, nothing was taken, nothing was given um, in regards to that. And I think some work needed to have done before that ban even came in um, because there isn't the research there. There isn't the information. Um, in the UK, we've got 37,000 women playing rugby, um, but only four trans women, which has now dropped to three because um, we've got a player who's retired. So those numbers out there, um, they haven't got that information. And in regards to some of the information and research that we used, it was based on sizzly men and women. Um, we know trans women do not compete um, at the same level as cis elite men. Nothing was looked at in regards to their hormone levels. Were they on the same levels? Were they the same age? Were they using the same hormones? Were they on blockers? None of these sort of things are sort of looked at and brought into it. And again, none of the research was ethically approved or peer reviewed. Um, so we need to start looking at how things get looked at. And again, a lot of the unions, as you've seen in the news, um, haven't accepted the ban and have carried on allowing trans women um, to be involved in the sport. Um, unfortunately, World Rugby didn't take that to the vote um, and a decision was made without the unions being able to have a vote in that. So that ban um, was made by World Rugby themselves. Yeah, a couple of points. One is they're not calling it a ban. They're calling it a guidance or recommendation. Yeah. But in effect, it turns out to be a ban. Second, as you said, they didn't look at any scientific evidence about trans women athletes, trans women rugby players. They only looked at trans women and they looked at men and looked at women. They didn't look at actual trans athletes. Third, they didn't let you speak. They didn't let Johanna Harper speak. There wasn't a opportunity to actually make a decision because their minds were already made up. They actually made an assumption. Um, so when we went in there, because Megan's a lot taller than myself, um, they actually thought that Megan was a trans female when we went in. Um, so I actually made a joke to, to Megan in regards to, I just outed her as a cis female. Um, <laughs> Because they made that assumption as I'd gone in, um, because I'm quite short, as um, you'll, you've seen in photographs. And uh, and again, people didn't actually know. And some of the language that was used in there, could you tell us if you uh, think or you perceive you may have played against a trans person? It's like, so can you tell me what a trans person looks like then? Or how does that trans person act on the pitch? Or do you know the difference between gender expression and, and, and gender? Um, so these are all things that haven't been looked at. And again, England rugby really had our back in, in that room because we've got zero injuries recorded since 2003. Um, and again, last year, I think it was either 51 or 52 applications in the UK to play, um, and most of that from age grade. So there's not these 
thousands of six foot 20 stone men with beards coming into the game, which is getting quoted all over Twitter and social media. And again, trans people come in all different shapes and sizes. And again, if you're good at the sport, it doesn't mean that you're trans. It just means that you are good at that sport. You can be technical. You can be technically good. I need to catch my breath for a second after hearing all that, because that what that that was somehow I had a feeling it probably went down like that, but it's a whole different deal when you listen to it. I'm just first off gut, just the gut reaction when they thought you that your colleague was trans. Did you just want to like roll your eyes and say, what, what world did I land on? Yeah, it's hard it's because people have already got these pre perceived ideas of what people look like before you even walk into a room or like for myself, I've not changed my name. So People make assumptions straight away. Everything is to do with the binary of male and female. And again, human and evolution is changing. Humans are very different now than we were 100 years ago. So why is sport not adjusting as well along with that? Because that's not changing, but everybody else is being forced to change. So if you've got more testosterone, naturally you're being told that you've got to take suppressants or you've got to have operations. But again, the human body is changing. So sport needs to evolve with that as well. Now, in addition to in addition to getting out there and letting you out there with a the metal chair playing some rugby, you're <laughs> also you're also working with Mermaid UK in trans inclusion and in sports youth. How has the recent high court decision affected your job? How has it made it more difficult? And just as being trans in the UK, gut reactions to that ruling? I mean, I will, I can't discuss the ruling because I've not got any legal background or anything like that but in regards to to sport we're finding that a lot more young people are not getting involved in sport because they're scared to because of the rules or how they're perceived or how even just being able to find clubs that they think may accept them um I had an email um last year from uh, a young person who'd gone to um, a sports club they've got some rugby boots to take up a sport and they've been told to go away because they weren't born in the correct gender so they'd be no good um, and these are young teenagers. And if you're telling teenagers this at a young age and they're going to think that for the rest of their life, they're not going to reach the potential and they're not going to enjoy sport. Um, and anyone who plays sport as their authentic selves has got, is, is a good thing. It's good for our mental health. It's good for our physical health. And again, it's about people shouldn't say, am I allowed to play? It's about how can we get you involved? Um, we need to enable these young people to have these choices and to be able to do that. I mean, when you when you read emails like that, just from a personal standpoint, I mean, what goes through your own head? I think it's scary because it's like, so if you're going to take sport away from someone, how are you going to prepare them for that? Again, like rugby took away um, international level um, and all these things are flying around, but nobody actually contacted the people that were involved in this. There was no support given to them. There was no backing. There, there was there was no outlets for them. They just said, well, this is going to happen. And then that's it. There's going to be nothing else for you. But then there's no support pathways put in place as well. So it's nobody's thinking about other people's health or how it affects or actually talking again to the people that it involves. Verity, for the folks who don't know your story, would you mind just giving us a recap? I'd like to share with everybody the transition that you experienced and how it's been going. Um, yeah, so for myself, um, I've been playing rugby now since I was 11. Um, I started off playing rugby league. 
Um, turns out I was a bit rough for the under-16s and the under-19s. Um, so they asked my dad if I could play senior rugby when I was 11. Um, not much health and safety back then, so um, I, that's where I started my playing career. Moved over into Union when I was around 15, 16. Played a bit of dual code and then moved into Rugby Union as well. So playing for county, north of England, um, students, um, played up and down the country. Um, and again, I got told that if I, if I came out, um, I would have been kicked out of the premiership. So I gave my life up for the sport. It's the one thing that was my constant after losing my parents. So for me, I only officially came out three years ago. Um, and unfortunately, that happened. Um, some people knew, we'd had discussions around it, but I'd gone to play a team who it didn't go down too well that I was on the pitch. Um, I got assaulted on the pitch. The referee took everyone off the pitch to ask if I was male or female. Didn't actually ask me um, in front of all the spectators. I was pinned down. I had blood spot in my mouth and it took two years um, for the people that had done this to actually be spoken to. Um, nothing really happened to them. I think they got a really small fine and I was the one that was told to stay away from them. Um, so I had a really great career playing in the, in the female league. I, I wouldn't have changed that for anything, but it, the one thing that would have made it better would have been able to say that I'm, I'm, I'm Verity, I'm trans and I, I want to play rugby. Um, and that's all I've ever wanted to do is to play rugby. And I hope that I was going to play for the men's team um, once all the, the rules changed. And unfortunately, that wasn't to be. Um, so I finished my, my game playing in the women's league um, through injury um, and left through that. So um, for me as well, just being able to see what sport does for people is, is a massive thing. It brings you a family, it gives you hope and it, it doesn't just teach you sport, it teaches you life skills as well as you're growing up and helps you become the adults that they are today. Tell us about your injury. Um, I took a bad tackle in, uh, I was out on loan um, to a team up um, Middlesbrough way um, in the UK and someone tackled me offside um, through the back to the forward instead of tackling from the side um, and unfortunately my spinal cord was crushed um, leaving me with nerve damage to my leg and my back um, and unfortunately, that's led to other complications as well. So I've got a nerve condition now as well. Um, got bilateral foot drop. Um, so it affects my day-to-day -day mobility and pain and things like that. So it's quite difficult. Um, it's been really hard adapting to that and losing the way of life that I've had. But again, wheelchair rugby gives me a chance to get my hands on that ball. And I've got a really good team behind me as well. And um, I just need to stop um, fighting the chair and start playing, as um, some of my colleagues say. Um, they've threatened to put some unicorn stickers on it if um, I'll play any better. I was checking out before before we um, start the podcast, I was checking out an interview that you did in November where you said something very interesting. Quote, I wasn't Verity without rugby, so who was I? Yeah. What, what about this game for you got the hold on you and what did it mean for you to have a chance to have this game back in a new form and being out there again? To me, having the game was life. When my parents died, um, it was, it was my structure. That was my network. That was my family. Um, my grandma did a great job. Um, but for me, it was being out on that pitch for 80 minutes. It, it took everything away from me. I didn't have to worry about, what was happening, I just got to be out there, I got to feel the mud, I got to feel the grass, I, I was out there here with my teammates. And then when that was taken away from me, it's like, who am I, what's left now? I've got no training, I've got nowhere to be, I've, 
I've got no structure in my life anymore. Um, and being able to be part of Leeds Rhinos um, wheelchair team has just given me that hope back and family and just give me some self-worth back as well that I'm, I've still got that rugby ball. It's, it's like an attachment. Um, if you cut me open, I'm sure you'd see some very well-named uh, rugby balls um, instead of a heart in there, I think, sometimes. Um, but yeah, it's given me it's given me some self-worth back and it's given me something to look forward to again. Um, and I mean, I'm 40 next year, so I was coming up to the age of retirement anyway, but I wanted to go out on my terms. Um, and this is one way that I can do that. I can finish off my playing career and, and be proud of, of what I've done and be proud of the people that have supported me as well while I, whilst I've done that. I'm so glad for that support. But as trans people, we all know that there are times when transphobia comes right in our face. There was a time you told me about you were about to enter the women's locker space, the women's restroom area, when you were stopped. You were stopped at the door. Can yeah. you tell our listeners about that? Yeah, so I was playing for my home team of Rotherham, um, playing rugby union, and we had a team that came across. Um, they'd seen me there already. They'd been, they were there over an hour early before the game. They'd seen me there. They'd played against me a few weeks prior, so they knew who I was. They knew that I was trans. Um, they tried to stop me going in my own locker rooms to get changed and stood in front of the doorway. And it's just like, but that's my changing room. This is my home team. This is where I'm accepted. And they tried to stop me um, going in my own changing facilities. They then stood in the way of the toilet doors, um, so I couldn't use the toilets either. Um, didn't say anything, just all stood there with the drinks in the hands, just looking at the floor. So I actually got up and walked away to some different toilets because I thought I, I don't want to start, start something here at the, at the time I was still playing women's rugby I didn't want anything to happen to my team um, but it does it, it takes its toll on you because you find somewhere you've, you've got a family you've got your friends there this is where you play this is your home team and then there's someone that's trying to take that away from you that bit of who you are and the fact that you've come on this journey um, it's taken a long time to be you and then other people are still trying to take that away from you just because of lack of education and I think it's really sad um, to see that that can still happen as well. Now, one thing, you said the word retirement just a minute ago. <laughs> yeah. Too young to retire. You don't even look a day over, you don't look a day over 25. <laughs> retire. I've, I've, just, I've just gained all the hair on the chin and lost it on the top. My, uh, my grandma says she's going to draw some eyes on my forehead and turn me upside down so that everyone thinks that I've got hair again. So that, that's the way she's going to deal with it for me. Now, one thing, since you feel you're, since you're looking at the twilight of your playing career and heading into a whole new way of playing a game, what are the goals that you're setting for yourself? Where do you want, how do you want to go out? For me, I'd like to go out again, winning the Challenge Cup. Um, I've managed to get myself over the try line a few times playing development. I'd like to learn the game more. Um, it's very hard um, going from the running game to the wheelchair game. It's very if you want to step into a gap, you can't really do that with a wheelchair. You sort of spin when you move your body. So learn the game a little bit more, um, get some more time under my belt and just enjoy the game. Just enjoy having those times with my teammates on the pitch, enjoy seeing the people and learning the game. And I think my, my long-term goals is just to be open up those doors for other young people in the next generation to not have to hide who they are and like myself, make a decision on whether I, I could be myself or did I want to play my sport but be able to be your authentic self playing that sport as well and have that life and have those achievements. And like all young kids have dreams 
be able to play in the sport that you want to do and achieve in that as well. So if I can do that for one person, then everything that I've gone through has definitely been worthwhile. I, I want to throw a goal at you. Okay. Are you, are you, are, are you targeting this? Could we see you wheelchair rugby Paralympics Paris 2024? Could we see you on team GB? <laughs> I'm not sure about Team GB because it's rugby league that I play, and um, so that's not actually in there. But we could potentially look at maybe looking at maybe the gay games, or we could have a look at how wheelchair rugby league um, progresses forward. We have got the rugby league World Cup, and you'll be able to see some of my teammates playing in that um, on social media. Um, and then hopefully we'll see where that goes. But even if if I get another couple of seasons in before any more injury, I'd be quite happy with that. But I'll take your challenge, and we'll see where I get up to. Um, <laughs> Well, yeah, I'll we'll put it this that. way: if if you're if the nation called for an international competition, would if they gave you the call, you'd take that call? I would. I just don't think I'm to that level at the moment. Um, but we'll see. We'll see how that goes. And if I ever get to stateside, we'll try and get you yourself and Don um, in a chair as well, and we can have a we can have some time out on that pitch. I would certainly oh. try. I would certainly try, but no promises. Uh, the, yeah. the, <laughs> the one time I used a wheelchair, I had a cousin. My first cousin had muscular dystrophy, and I remember um, using his chair just to see what it was like to to sort of feel what it must be like for him to get around. And um, the two things that I remember very clearly, he told me, it pissed him off to no end that people would talk to the person behind the chair, not the person yeah. in the chair. Yeah. And the second thing being that um, he was so angry anytime somebody used the words confined to a wheelchair because wheelchairs actually allow people to be mobile. They are, they are giving the ability of accessibility of mobility to people who are disabled and differently abled. And it shouldn't be seen as a handicap or seen as a confinement. It's actually a method of freedom. You get to go places that you couldn't go before. Yeah. I sometimes get funny looks as well because I'm a, what they call like I'm a part-time user. So I, I still use leg braces and, and bimble around a little bit. So if you stand up to lift your chair into the car or anything like that, you do get some funny looks sometimes. Or if you go to put your disability badge in your car and um, they don't think that you should have one. I've had that before as well. So it's just, again, it's just the world um, making assumptions and lack of education in a certain field. Um, so hopefully one day things will start changing for us all. Well, first off, you make that arrangement. I'll, I'll, hey, I'll strap in the chair and play. <laughs> I will take, I will, as, as much as I have some trepidation for doing it, I will take that. I'll take that deal. I will You're take that. You make that happen. I will take that deal. But I want to pivot more towards some of the work you're doing now off of the, off of the playing field. Um, what made you decide to take that position with mermaids and move forward? I think for me, um, like I was saying, like being young and having to make the choice of sport or being myself, I think giving these young people the opportunity to get involved in sport and to help the ones that are already in sport continue to do that, um, I think is better than anything. It's given them a place. It's given them the, their own self-worth. And again, a lot of people are finding it hard to find inclusive teams. Are the policies that exist? Where are they allowed to play? And again, it shouldn't be, are you allowed to play? How do we get you involved? Um so I think at the moment it's about reaching out to these national governing bodies, finding out who and what policies you've got in place. And again, age grade sport is very difficult anyway. Um, so I work with anyone from 19 and under. 
Um, so I think it's about bridging those gaps, having those conversations, getting on the feet under the table um, to let them know what's ha actually ha are happening out there. And for me, it's about giving these young people a voice as well, because it's not myself just talking. Um, I'm actually speaking with these young people, having focus groups and getting the, their own um, voices heard through this. And they're giving me the information and how it's affecting them. So it's not just myself and a bunch of adults making assumptions and, and decisions for them. I'm taking that information from them and, and feeding that back into the system um, of sport within the UK. So hopefully we'll, hope we'll maybe see that changing as we go forward. Um, and again, I just want to make sure that all kids in the UK have got the same opportunity to in enjoy sport as everybody else does. It doesn't matter who you are, what background you are, disability, anything, everybody has the same right to play sport as their authentic selves. And again, let's open those doors for these young people and let everybody have a go at sport. Well, you're hearing that sound, which means we got to pay some bills. We're going to take a break. But when we come back, we're going to get the personal perspective. What is it like to keep pushing when it seems like a whole society is against you? I'm Carly Chardonnay Webb, along with Don Ennis. This is The Transporter Room. We'll be back. And we're back in The Transporter Room. Verity Smith is our guest. Carly Chardonnay Webb. Don Ennis here at the controls, ready to send Verity back to England, but not before he answers one more important question. Verity, you wake up in the morning, perhaps turn on your telly, and you see a two-spirit penguin bashing trans youth and bashing trans people. You, you may get your morning paper and immediately it's it's something transphobic blaring across the head, blaring across the headlines. You turn on BBC Sport and you hear Sharon Davies in between calls talking about talking about those quote unquote biological males or whatever. It seems like so much of the British press has gone completely towards making the country in a sense of no trans land. Through all that, what keeps you pushing to speak out? What keeps you pushing to walk out that door and do what you want to do and be who you are? I want everyone to have the same opportunity um, to play sport and I don't want anyone to be scared um, or to struggle with mental health or to be ostracized or to be removed from society just because they want to be part of something. And for me, again, if it's enabling one person to get involved in sport, then I've done something, I've given something back and I wouldn't want any young person to have to make the choice of whether they want to live as their authentic self or choose sport. Sport needs to start adapting. The humans changed, we've evolved it's time that sport starts to evolve as well because within the community everybody is different we're all different shapes and sizes whether we're trans whether we're cis whether we're looking at the binary of sport anything like that we're all very different and again sport needs to change so if we can open that up for the next generation or even start we've already started to open it up for this generation but again all sports are very different we've got different governing bodies with different rules we've got nobody that's overseeing that um so I think for once things start moving forward, governing bodies start looking at the policies, they start looking at research and all this information pulls together. I think we've got a bright future and I think the young people are going to have a better future going forward. And again, if anyone's involved in sport, for me, that's been my life. And I don't think I'd have got to where I, I am now without that. And especially without the people that have supported me over the years as well. Um, 
But if if we can get the next generation of young people involved in sport, give them something to look at, give them something to get involved with, give them somewhere that they can feel welcome, then we've done something. And I think anything like that is just absolutely amazing um, for people. You well, are amazing. You are amazing. That's all I want to say. This has been a treat. And I, I want Carly to say goodbye. I want me to say goodbye. But I want you to say hello to us again. Promise me that in the new year, you'll come back and tell us how things are going. Yeah, definitely. Hopefully we might have some news in, in regards to the UK. We might have some news in regards to world rugby. Um, who knows, after 2020, what's going to happen in 2021 in the, in, in the sports world? Um, we'll see what happens. But no, it's been great. And, and thank you again. And thanks for putting up with the dodgy English accent as well. Oh, is it dodgy now? I, I haven't noticed. <laughs> Well, Ver no, Verity, thank you for joining us. I can tell you from one athlete to another, you ins you inspire me. I look at what you do and that's what helps me get out of bed and do a work and do a workout and keep writing. And you set it up. We're going to play some wheelchair rugby. You that's set fun. it you set it up. I'll get myself I'll get myself in some wheelchair rugby shape. Get ready to get ready to take some hits and we're going to do this. But hey, you keep playing. I look, I look forward to seeing you in matches in the weeks, months, and years ahead. And stay safe with that whole new COVID variant that's out there, the mutation. Yeah. I worry about all you folks. I have cousins who live in Feltham, and I'm very worried about them too. I just hope you all stay safe. Well, I think after the amount of rugby bottles I've had to share with people over the years, I might be a bit immune to it by now. Um, <laughs> so we'll see. All right, Carly, set coordinates for the UK. Energizing. Thank you, Verity. You're welcome. Thank you, guys. Now, wasn't that a wonderful interview? I knew Verity would knock it out of the park. Well, Verity Smith, honestly, is a voice that we need to hear more of. So mem memo to John Holmes, Owen Jones, book Verity Smith. And Verity was on a long list that um, some people shared over the last weekend about following trans men. I must have added about 100 trans men that I had not followed before. We need to follow our trans men. We need to hold them up. We need to show them and show the world that they are appreciated and valued. Yes, and also we need to hear those voices in the discussion because so often transmasculine voices are erased. Yeah, they're yeah. they're not count they're not counted or they're assume or they're assumed to be like a lot of the turfs especially seem to say, oh no, those voices are on our side when <laughs> people haven't heard the real haven't heard the real story. They don't hear the Verity Smiths or the Chris Mosiers. They ignore that story. And especially in this particular issue, that story needs to be told. Carly, it all comes down to the penis. Trans women are perceived to have a penis and therefore rejected as women. It's all about that. It's all about this perception that trans women are just men wearing yeah, women's you, clothing. But you know something, here's my big question. What is with, what is with cisgender people and genitals? I don't know. Sir, what is this fixation? I, I think it's creepy. It is creepy. They're my different mind out of my pants. <laughs> yes. And it's also it also leads to violence. I shared with you last week there was a murder. A, a a person who identified with both she and he pronouns, dressed as a woman with wig and makeup. She I'm gonna say she. Her name was Bella in terms of her friends, but her legal name was Jahame Pugh. And Jaheim was recognized as a man by his sister and mom, but two friends was seen as a woman and they were shot. 
and murdered. And someone took a video of them laying wounded, not being helped, not being treated, dying. And their mother saw that in Alabama. It's just, it grosses me out. It makes me sick to my stomach. Sean, I'm, yeah, when I, I've, I first heard that from you, you gave me, you gave me the link on it and reading that and reading more on it. All I can, all I can say is, I mean, I'm, I'm going to call my, I'm going to call my own community out in particular for this. Come on, cis black folk, where you at? Yeah. Yeah. Seriously. Where, where you, where you at in this one? I mean, well, I, the I look as nice to see, which is, which that maybe if, if Bella did identify as trans, which we don't know, then I, I wish that they would recognize that and respect that. But it seems as if um, Jaheim was confident and comfortable being both male and female. And that should be recognized. And at least yes. it was an outpouring of love and support. I wish that happened while they were still alive. Oh, yeah. Well, yes. But I think if you even if you take the trans umbrella out of it, the, this person was, was, was a part of our rainbow family. Yeah. And to me, the fact that the family is pushing to make this, to have this prosecuted as a hate crime, it's fitting. Because from all into, from all the reporting and also all the things that you look at on Twitter surrounding it, that was a part, that was a variable in this. But I mean, still, the, the days haven't gone away. It's not just trans folks, it's across this rainbow. I mean, right now, yes. I say this often, and Don, you know this, because I've said it ad nauseum infinitum, that right now it seems like everybody can pick on the tea because it's the easy, it's the easiest target. The low-hanging fruit. Yes, the low-hanging fruit, but everybody in one way or another, is this affects the whole Rainbow family, and by extension, this affects anyone who's looking, who, who seriously banks on civil rights mm -hmm. To protect themselves in this society. I'll I mean, that that's the people who want to take the T out of the LGB. Oh that's yeah, yeah, like that, like that LGB alliance over in the UK. That I oh. mean, it, it's pathetic. Well, on a positive note, if you didn't see the Mandalorian, I'm not going to spoil it for you. But the series season finale featured a huge callback to Rogue One, and there's a special appearance by someone from the Star Wars universe. And if you haven't seen it yet, I ain't going to spoil it for you, but you got to check it out. The thing I will tell you is there's a spinoff coming next December. One year from now, Star Wars is going to have the book of Boba Fett, a new series starring the actor who plays Boba Fett and played him in the Clone Wars movie. And it's going to be a whole new series. So I'm excited about that. I'm rather excited about that, too, to get a definitive history of one of the most, of one of of one of the most mysterious, yet known yet unknown pieces of the Star Wars saga, and such a popular character, they were yeah. smart to bring Boba Fett back from the dead. It was a really smart move. I mean, I I have a feeling that the future of Star Wars may not be in the big cinematic in the mm -hmm. in the big cinematic epics, but in these, I I think this is what's doing for the broadcast medium what the what the novel can't novelizations have done for it i think this is going to give it a whole new life and let's not you call it broadcast anymore it's now streaming yeah I mean, think about it when was the last time you were in a movie theater 
<laughs> you you want to know something? Before March, right? No, I'm talking. The last time I was in a movie theater was to see the Rise of Skywalker. Wow. Okay. That's been that was the last the la or rather this last Star Wars film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And 2019 was the last time I was in a, was I was in a movie theater. But you'll watch a movie on your TV, right, or on your laptop. Yes. So that's why Star Wars, I think, is taking this. Uh, they're taking this shift. I I just think it's all, I I just think there's good good stories are being told here. Speaking Mandalorian which, is telling good stories. Speaking of which, Star Trek Discovery is telling good stories. I can tell you sincerely that the next two episodes of Star Trek Discovery are going to blow you away, especially how my favorite redhead, Mary Wiseman, who plays Tilly, is featured. She is just outstanding. And there's great action and plot and interesting dialogue. And there's a lot of developments that I can't tell you anything about, but I've seen the next two episodes and they're fabulous. You mean to tell me they're they're like these most, do you mean they're going to step up the bar from these recent episodes, which yes, were already even further just huge. And this is the best season of Star Trek Discovery. And by the way, I want to, I want to send you, I want to send you a pat on the back Why? and some kudos for that art, for the, for the interview you did. Aww, Tilly. That was a, no, that was an excellent interview. I enjoyed that very much. And now I know I love that character even more now seeing yeah. what's behind what makes that character work. I have a feeling that, that could be a character that could spin forward into yeah. something. And, yeah. and I think that's one great thing about Star Trek. They're starting to do things that are, I mean, you're seeing, you're seeing a revitalization of it. I'm hoping that the Cisco series become bears. We want fruit. that. We want section 31. We want to see season two of Picard. Yes. And oh. I, hear, I hear Q might be coming back. I've heard some very interesting things about possible comebacks. I've heard that Reg Barkley could make an appearance on one of these futures here. No, Reg ends up in a, I mean, Reg ends up in a, I mean, a spin forward to how he ends up because people don't realize he ends up actually becoming a leader in Starfleet. And another person that I've heard rumors that they're bringing back, um, a relatively obscure character, but a very interesting thing that they're going to delve further. It's from um, Next Generation. There was a minor character on an episode, or rather a featured minor character on an episode who played a man who, is re who had gone in for the whole shoot you in space and we'll revitalize you when we figure out what's wrong with you, Torta Deals. Mm. And it's a question of what happens when a person with a completely 20th century mindset is now in this whole brave new world in the 23rd, 24th century. Character's name was Ralph, Ralph Oppenhaus. I remember the Ralph Oppenhaus. Yeah, he was, a, he was a ruthless Ivan Bosky, Michael Milliken type. Yeah. Before he supposedly died. And he become, and in the novelizations, he becomes a Starfleet diplomat. Interesting. They're talking about bringing, when they're talking about he will be a character possibly in the Cisco series. Oh, that could be interesting. Somewhere. Now, I, also want to see, interesting. I also want to see Jody LaForge again. I hear both Whoopi Goldberg and LeVar Burton are going to be making appearances in the new Picard season. Well, it's all very exciting. I look forward to the future on my TV and on my laptop. And I look forward to next week. It'll be our last episode of 2020. We have a special guest. I can't believe this is our last episode on 20, of 2020. What episode a year. 63, Outsports co-founder Jim Bozinski joins us. He'll be looking back and looking ahead and we'll talk about 
the amazing story he wrote this week about Tulsi Gabbard. Well, I tell you, I'm, it's always good when you have Jim, Jim in here. The king of the comeouts is going to be right here at the transporter room. I can't, I can't wait, and also to have, and we've had both founders of Outsports on our podcast now. It's very exciting, and also the deputy manager Alex Reamer. So we've got all the big, big wickety muckety mucks. <laughs> well, you're one of the big muckety mucks yourself. Oh, I'm just a little peon. It's great to have you on my show. It's great for me to be on your show. I am glad to be working with you, uh, Carly. And let's do this. I wish you a very Merry Christmas. Thank you. And to all of you out there, Merry Christmas to all. A happy Kwanzaa to all. Happy Boxing Day. Happy Boxing Day. Verity, that was for you. And a happy Festivus for the rest of us. rest of us. <laughs> Live long and prosper. Steady as she goes. We'll see you next week.